Okay, open up to Ephesians 4.17. Today is going to be one of those days that I think you're going to really realize, those who were here when we started this portion of the book of Ephesians. If you're new, thank you for coming. We're in the book of Ephesians going verse by verse for the entire year, and we did this last year as well for old 17. Uh, 2017. And uh, when I came into this section, though, that's all about Christian living, okay? And let me just put it up here for you so you guys can see uh, this graphic here. And when we came into this, I asked you guys to pray for me. And the reason why I did is because I knew for me to talk about all of these things right here, I knew that I was going to have to lay my heart bare. I knew that I was going to have to be honest with you and talk about a lot of the things that I have dealt with on this list. Well, let me just tell you right now, today talking about bitterness will probably be the most real and the most painful for me to share. I know this has got your attention now, right? But listen to me. Bitterness rocked me harder than any of these other sins. And I want to talk to you about how it sneaks in into our lives. And so I'm glad that you're here. I hope that you're reading the book of Ephesians with us every week. That's your homework assignment during this uh, time that we're going through the series of the book of Ephesians. I want you to read it so you guys can keep up and you guys can get it. You guys can be like, oh, you know, I get where my pastor's coming from. And then throughout the week, God can add nuggies into your life. Somebody say nuggies. Thank you. Okay, Ephesians 4, 17. What I'm going to do today, because I have a lot to talk about, I'm just going to read the whole passage as it was written. So keep up with me. Don't get bored. But I want to read all the way to chapter 5, verse 20. This is the part about Christian living in the book of Ephesians. Paul writing here, he says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. How many can say amen to that? You've been taught in Christ to live a different kind of life. Now verse 22, you were taught. Somebody say, I was taught. We now know we're like the Ephesians people. We've been taught this. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Very key for you to get that today when we talk about bitterness. Don't be corrupted by your deceitful desires, but to be made new in the attitude of your what? Of your what? of your minds, thank you, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Who were you created to be like? Like God. Thank you. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. Speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. That will be number two on my list as we go through the series of the most real message I had to give you was about me struggling with anger. But I'm telling you, bitterness is going to take it to the top today for me. That's my number one issue is bitterness in my Christian life. I'll tell you why and, and how that set me back. Number uh, Verse 26, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. 
Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but what is only beneficial or helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Now let's read verse 31 and 32 together. One, two, three. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. Oh, excuse me, just as in Christ, God forgave you. I want you to notice the two bookends here of this part of the, the, the book here. Notice here, this section starts with get rid. So it says right here, you know, don't grieve the Holy Spirit in verse 30. And then here in verse 31, it says get rid of bitterness, okay? And then it tells you all the things that bitterness will lead you to do. Rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Okay, I believe that's a bookend, a foundation for all of these other things that come after. Because he's already talked about anger in the verse prior. So the rage and anger, brawling and slander, and the malice he's talking about here, I believe, is uniquely connected to bitterness. And then he says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And so I feel that's the other bookend. And so if you want to work your way backwards, you go kindness, compassion, but what does it, what does it end with? What does it end with? It ends with forgiveness. So starting with forgiveness, you would come this way. Do you guys understand? Starting with forgiveness, you would be compassionate and kind, and then you would combat malice and those things. So you look at it like on one side, you have bitterness, and it leads you this way, and then on the other side, you have forgiveness, and it leads you this way. Does everybody get the bookends right there? And so that's why today's message, I entitled it, Don't Be be bitter or put off bitterness and put on forgiveness. Because if you put off bitterness, if you put it off, naturally you'll have forgiveness. And if you have forgiveness, you'll naturally avoid bitterness. So these would be the polar opposites of each other. Bitterness and forgiveness are opposite. Does everybody get that? If not, I can take a moment and draw a picture of it. Because I really want you to get their opposites of each other. Bitterness and forgiveness. They're opposite. And I think that's what Paul is saying here. I think that's why he's saying that bitterness leads to all of these things. And forgiveness brings all of these things. Now let's go to verse 1 of chapter 5. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. Walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality, any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Are you guys bored with the Bible yet? Okay, we're having fun reading the Bible? All right, should be fun. It's the Bible. Uh, it's the Word of God. It's for our lives. It will change us. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Here's a very important part we need to hear. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. And so the wrath of God is coming on those things we just read in uh, verse 5. But it's not only just verse 5. It's all the sinful things he's been talking about. And so also, if you are bitter, if you give yourself to the rage and anger and brawling and every form of malice, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You Will suffer God's wrath. Can I hear an amen? 
That is true for all acts of sin that we continue in. God says that will bring the wrath of God. Jesus says that will bring the wrath of God. And Paul reiterates that. Verse 8, for you were once darkness, so we were once like this, but now you are in the light, uh, so live as, excuse me, but now you are light in the Lord, so live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. So we have to find out today what pleases the Lord in this subject about bitterness and forgiveness. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That's why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. How many believe in the resurrection of Jesus? Even though it's not Easter anymore, how many still believe you should live your life cross-eyed, focused on Jesus, experiencing the power of God? Amen? Now here he comes to the closing of this section. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. How many enjoy doing that today? Amen. I thank you for sharing that word, Sadi. I felt that was a timely word about God being with us. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything. How many things? Everything. Even when it's not Thanksgiving, we're giving God thanks for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what you just read here were 17 parts of what I call instructions on Christian living. I believe that Paul gave us 17 things in that passage that we just read. And so if you have been with us in Ephesians, we started in chapter 1 and it moved all the way down to chapter 4, verse 16. And we call this the heavenly-minded goodies. These are all the goodies that talk about your mindset, how you have to believe, the things that you need to see in your life as in doctrine and beliefs. But he doesn't just leave it there in the heavenly-minded realm. He brings it into the earthly good. And this is the first section. What you just read is the first chunk of instructions on Christian living. Then he gives the instructions on family and, and the job. And we have this always repeated when we do weddings, especially around here. I always read Ephesians 5, you know, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands. How many like that passage? Amen. And then we go to instructions on spiritual warfare and we end the book, okay? But I want you to see today what I'm going to do is I'm going to add two of these sections right here, um, eight and nine. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and malice, and I'm going to add that together with be kind, compassionate, forgiving like Jesus. I could have made these two separate messages because they're two separate verses, but I wanted you to see how they play off of each other because they're bookends, okay? 31 is the bookend of what not to do. 32 is what you should do. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So let us look at that passage. Let's understand it. And then I'm going to get to the nitty gritty. I'm going to tell you some stories, okay? So these are the things we need to put off, get rid of. So think about getting rid of things in your life that you're not supposed to have. Like every week we get rid of garbage. We put it at the, the front of our, our house or, you know, the driveway, whatever, and people come and take it. We need to get rid of bad things in our society, you know, like if there's uh, like a poison or like a virus going around 
around. We need to get rid of it, okay? Depending on how you feel about vaccines, we just need to get rid of viruses. And, uh, and, and we need to get rid of poisonous stuff, you know? So if there was something that was poisonous, we would get rid of it. But here's the thing. We need to get rid of a mindset that wraps itself around bitterness and leads to all of these other things. See, bitterness has a result. Bitterness has a fruit. It is the root, and then it has a fruit. Bitterness is the root, and then it has a, a fruit that comes from it. So what comes from the root of bitterness is rage and anger. So do you, str- do you struggle with rage and anger much? You probably have a bitter root somewhere in your life. Do you struggle with brawling and slander, fighting physically, and then slandering, fighting with your words? You probably have a root of bitterness. And then do you devise evil schemes, malice, specifically here against people? You probably have an issue with bitterness. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about bitterness, but one of the most important places is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. And I believe Hebrews is a book either written by Paul or spoken and then dictated by one of his followers. So I believe this is Pauline teaching in Hebrews. The early church believed that, and I believe that. We just don't uh, generally attribute it to it because he doesn't put his, his standard introduction there. But I believe this is a work of Paul, either from his words and someone dictated it down or it was written towards the end of his life. And so look at what he says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. He says, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. How many of you, that just put the fear of God in you right now? How many are here, that just like hits you, right? Because that's, that's a real deal. You can literally miss the grace of God because of bitterness. You can miss it. I know sometimes we watch these bloopers, you know, on Facebook, and like somebody's running like boom, and they miss the shot or they miss the end goal or whatever they're trying to do. That will be like you going to heaven. You think you're going to make it, then boom, you fall flat on your face. And it literally says you will fall short of the grace of God. So are we saved by works? Am I running to try to save myself? No, I'm saved by the grace of God. No effort of my own. But I can miss the grace of God because of bitterness. Why? Because Jesus taught us that if you don't forgive and extend grace, like how grace has been extended to you, you will have no grace. You will have no forgiveness. So you will miss the grace of God because you've been graceless. As you've been forgiven, you need to forgive. That is the word that Paul is saying to us in both Hebrews and in Ephesians. And so bitterness, you know, it needs a little bit of a definition. Some of you may not be familiar with the word, but you may know what it feels like. But let's just give it a definition. It's anger, resentment, because you were mistreated. In other words, it's unforgiveness. So when we don't, when we don't forgive people, we become bitter. And just listen to that word, bitter. It literally plays off the taste of bitter. That, that's where it comes from, even in the ancient Hebrew language. It means sour. It actually means acidic. It means a taste that makes your mouth hurt like you don't want. It's not a good sour. It's something that you don't want. And then it upsets your stomach. It is the equivalent, how we would look at it, if you have too much, of poison. To take so much to where you become sick. And bitterness is looked at in the Bible as a spiritual sickness. It's looked at as a weed in the life. 
And what does it result in? Paul says it results in rage and anger. Rage and anger. Now, the Bible says you can be angry and not sin, but this kind of anger is unsanctioned anger. It's anger unlike Jesus' righteous anger in the temple. It's an anger that comes from a human spirit that tries to make its way and force its way upon others. As the Bible says, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. This is a man-centered, demonic anger, and it's uncontrolled. It even brings out rage. In anger, people will do things because they're bitter that they normally wouldn't do. I've even heard about people taking their life out of their own bitterness. They get into an argument or fight. They're so angry. They're rageful. And then they go and take their life. It's uncontrolled. Brawling. You know, the Bible talks about fighting and defense. Israel was a fighting nation. But this kind of brawling, it comes against people and it tries to force their way upon them. The bitterness of a person's heart will not be satisfied at times with people not joining in either into their pity patty party or not getting along with their bad attitude. They will actually want to fight people. And this is where you can kind of see that typical scene at the bar. The guy's mad, his girlfriend broke up with him. He's drinking beer. Give me another. You know, and then somebody says, hey man, you're being a jerk. No, I'm not being a jerk. You know, that's where it comes from. The bitterness of the soul. And then it also results in a more sneaky way. Everybody say a sneaky way. Like a little sneaky snake. Those who would say, maybe, uh, uh, Pastor, I've never been in a brawl. I've never been rageful. But you may have found yourself at times because of bitterness bearing the fruit of slander. To begin to speak falsely about someone or to share information that would damage them. Now, the Bible doesn't say that we're supposed to always just mind our own business either. Sometimes people only read the Bible as judge not and then X out everything around it. If you've ever seen that meme, you know? I, I saw a funny Babylon Bee article. It's a satire Christian website, and they put out articles. And it says, it says man has been able to finally summarize the Bible in two words, judge not. You know, like as if 66 books of the Bible are summarized with judge not. Like as if they have forgotten about the judge coming to judge in the end times, that we are supposed to judge in the church, kick out those who live in sin and unrepentant sin, that we are supposed to be judges literally in courts and all of these things. We're supposed to judge as parents what our children do. They just take the judge not lest ye be judged. Because in the same way that you judge others, you yourself will be judged by that context is that if you put up put out non-biblical standards of judgment and you force them upon people as the Jewish people were doing for salvation, and the, the closest resemblance to this would be like the Roman Catholic Church. You have no right right to do that. So Father Tom has no right to make a judgment over any of us here by saying our sins have not been forgiven because we haven't confessed them to him in a closet. Are you listening? He has no right to make a judgment over us. He has, Father Tom has no right to make a judgment in that way. That's extra biblical, and the Jews were doing those similar things. But the Bible, my friends, has a lot more to say than just judge not. So slander is not coming to your brother and saying, brother, you have sin. And if your brother doesn't listen, saying, I must come with two or three others and help address that. That's Matthew 18. I wanted to put that there because sometimes people think that slander is people trying to help you not to sin. No, slander is to go around talking uh, uh, about you to others and, and sharing your sins with no desire to help you to free you from your sins. 
but having someone to pray for you in your sins. Like if you backslid, I don't see you anymore. Somebody says, where's Mike? And I'm like, Mike's turning tricks at Belmont and Clark uh, so that he can wild out cross-dressing over there. I'm going to say, let's pray for him. I'm not slandering you. I'm just giving a prayer request. Amen? And I just met somebody the other day that got saved from turning tricks or wiling out at Belmont and Clark, cross-dressing. I'm telling you the truth. People get saved. Amen? Let them come and testify. You might be sitting next to them right now. Amen? You wouldn't even know, right? Because we're a church that loves you just the way you are, but too much to let you stay that way. So I wanted to make sure we understand slander. But you know the difference. Come on. We all know the difference. When I tell you my story, I know the difference. I wasn't looking to tell people a, a, a thing about somebody else so they could pray for them. And, you know, obviously when you lie about people, that's a slander. You know the difference. And then lastly, the desire to do evil. The desire to hurt, the desire to shame, the desire to take away. You know, a lot of times we see in marriages, people get bitter and they fight over their kids and then they want them so bad. You know, they want that custody so bad. They'll start lying against the person. They'll even set them up. And, you know, I've seen these, as, as, uh, these stories as the pastor and it breaks my heart watching these people fight over the kids and, and doing malicious things. That's where malicious comes from, malice, doing malicious things to each other. These are muy mal. Everybody say very bad. You're not supposed to have these things. So if we are Christians and we are Christ-like, created to be like God, we should have no bitterness. It says get rid of some bitterness. Is that what it says? You can keep some of that bitterness that you have towards people who really hurt you. But get rid of the other bitterness. Is that what it says? No, it says get rid of how much bitterness? Get rid of all bitterness. And then you can take the all because that's an adjective to the other things that you're supposed to get rid of. Get, of, get rid of all rage. And then we would put unsanctioned or ungodly anger. Get rid of all ungodly anger. Get rid of all brawling. Get rid of all slander. And then he reiterates the all and puts it into every, along with every form of malice. Now, I know the Bible's in Greek, but you understand as we translate it, all and every there. Next thing that he tells us the different book in is what life is supposed to be like as a Christian. What's it supposed to be like for us? We are supposed to be kind and compassionate to one another. Am I supposed to be kind and compassionate to Hillary Clinton? Yes, even though I don't agree with their politics. I'm supposed to be kind and compassionate to her. Are you supposed to be kind and compassionate to Donald Trump? Yes, even though you may not agree with his, his politics. Are you supposed to be kind to your enemies? Yes, the Bible says we're even supposed to bless those who curse us. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Now right here, what do we say back? But you don't know, Paul, how bad they hurt me. Right? That's what we say back. Paul, you don't know what I've been through. Now I just, I just wish... There was a story about somebody in the Bible who was done wrong, even though they were right, and yet they forgave their enemies, and it's a powerful demonstration of forgiveness. I just wish there was a story like that. Does anybody know of a person in the Bible who was done wrong? What was that person's name? What's his name? Well, somebody's saying some other people, but say, say the main one. Jesus. Wow, you mean Jesus was done wrong? Like like really wrong? Like on the level of molestation wrong? Like on, on the level of rape, murder wrong? Like Jesus was done wrong? Jesus was hurt 
wrong, yeah, yeah, like slander, abuse, every form of sin and wickedness, though maybe it wasn't done to him personally, on the cross the Father put it upon him. He who knew no sin became sin for us. God in the flesh became sin for us. You mean the innocent one became sin for us. And on the cross, as we put the him there, a representative of humanity, we were all there in that sense. And he said to us, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So you mean my standard in life is not Oprah Winfrey, it's not uh, Ellen, it's not, you know, Steve Harper. You, you mean my example in life is Jesus? Yes, that's our example. So you could take the greatest pain you have ever suffered in life, and you are to ask yourself, Jesus, how would you handle this? That's how we go through the greatest pain of our life. That's how we face the greatest trials of our life. There's the story of Corey Timboon, and she was in the Netherlands, I think in Easter, I, when I told her story in one of the services, I, I said France, but she was in the Netherlands. She had to, uh, not had to, but with their family, they chose to hide Jews into their, in their house, and they, there's a book written about it called The Hiding Place in a movie. She's gone home to be with the Lord, but uh, her family was eventually arrested, and they were put in concentration camps along with with the Jews, and some of her family died there, and she talked about forgiveness and how much that God forgave uh, even the Nazis for doing such wicked things, and she would use that as an example, but she tells the story at the end of her life that it never became more real until she actually met someone who ran one of the camps where her family members died. And she had to look at literally possibly the murderer, you know, of the, the one who killed her family. And so even for someone like a Corey Tim Boone was tested in the compassion of God. And you will be tested in that to, to see if you really trust God. Because what forgiveness does, forgiveness doesn't say it's okay, but forgiveness says I trust God. I trust God in this situation because God is a righteous judge. God sorts out all the things in the end. So it's kind of like the kids playing downstairs. They're doing the wrong things. We hear something goes boom. Another one cries. And then we come down as parents and we try to figure it out. And we're hearing four or five different stories. And we have to make the judgment. You know, you're getting a timeout. You're getting a treat because you did the right thing. You're, you know, you're getting something taken from you. Well, well, in the sense of God looking at the entire universe, he knows every detail. He knows every heart. He's going to separate the good from the evil, he's going to make it right on judgment day. He's going to look at the motives. He's going to decide. He's the judge. Somebody say God's the judge. And so we trust God's judgment, not only just for the end times, you know, like, oh, it's all going to happen then. No, but we trust God now in the judgment. Like, I trust God will work this out. So I will not become bitter, I will become better. I will be like Christ. Kindness means to be friendly and gentle. Think about your enemy right now as I say this, being friendly and gentle to them. Compassionate. The Bible literally says if your neighbor uh, or if your enemy is hungry, give them something to eat. And if the Roman soldier wants you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Compassionate, to care about each other's sufferings, uh, even emotional, physical. Think about the Good Samaritan. 
the Good Samaritan in the equivalent of, of our culture, let's say we go back to the, to the 50s or something before the civil rights, the Good Samaritan would be the African American, the one that was ostracized and put down. And the Jewish people in that sense would have been the white person that was putting that person down, always looking down on them. And here the Jewish man gets beat up and he's left by his other white folk, but it's a black guy who comes and helps him. He's the hero of the story. Jesus would flip the script on people and say, I want you to think about about this. I'm going to make the black guy the hero in this sense. I'm going to make the Samaritan your hero. I'm going to make all the people who look like you the, 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 the bad guys and then I'm going to show that the Samaritan will help and not be bitter towards the one who did him wrong. Not keep asking for reparations or whatever. I need more. I need more. I'm going to march down here and ask for more. No, he's going to be even nice to the one who's been quote unquote oppressing him. Do you see how that worked? That flipped the whole thing on its side because if you're the Samaritan, you're like, yeah, we're the good guy. We're the good guy. But then it's like, hold on. What did you do as the good guy? You helped. You helped the oppressor. You didn't like, you know, like push him down now. Say, now it's your turn. You're going to suffer, right? You helped your oppressor. And so then everybody gets challenged in that. The one who's been in charge is, is, is looked at as sometimes as overlooking even their own people. And then they're challenged. And then those who have been hurt are challenged to not be bitter towards being overlooked or mistreated, but compassionate. And so if you go reverse back through the Good Samaritan and say, what if everybody does the right thing? Well, we don't oppress the Samaritans, and then we treat each other as we want to be treated. That's what you're supposed to do. And it's based on what? What are all of those things based on? It's based on forgiveness, to forgive somebody of their sins. This is what Jesus said at the end of the Lord's Prayer. This is a very important part of the Lord's Prayer. The amen is said. I get that. But right at the end, you know, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have trespassed against us, right? So, like, there, there it is. Forgive us as we forgive others, right? But he reiterates it right at the end of the amen to show us how serious he is about that part. He says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you, but if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So it's almost like in that sense, like, well, hold on, Jesus. We just heard you say, for, forgive our sins as we forgive other sins. We don't know really how that works, so we're just going to take your word that's going to work itself out. And he's like, he's like, no, 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 I'm not leaving that in the vague. I'm not leaving that way out here somewhere. I'm going to make sure at the end of this prayer you understood that part. Here it is. You don't forgive, you don't get forgiveness. You miss, as Paul said in Hebrews, you miss the grace of God. What we need to do is we may need to make a decision to always guard our heart against bitterness. Somebody say, FEMO, forgive them and move on. Come on, that's what we need to do in life. Now, let me tell you some stories. Y'all ready for this? Now, those of you who are used to me preaching a lot longer with a lot more Bible verses, just be gracious to me today, amen, because I just felt like, oh, I got to talk about this. So I want you to think about, you know, how the Bible describes bitterness as I tell you my story here, because what is the trick about bitterness is that it's so deceitful. Bitterness is generally, as, as I have experienced it, and as I have seen other people experience it, is always based upon the truth that someone genuinely has a right to be hurt or a right to be upset about something. I have, I have, in my life, have not heard of a situation where someone has dealt with bitterness where it wasn't when you heard the story 
and you believe them, you know, you hear the story, and you don't agree with them saying, man, you were done wrong. Like, wow, that's terrible. I can't believe you went through that. When you see people who deal with bitterness, you're always going to hear what they've been through, as, as it's been my experience. And you're going to be like, dude, that sucks. I get where you're coming from. You're, you're generally not going to deal with somebody who has been bitter when they tell you their side of the story, what they've been through. You, and you're just going to be like, just get over it because it doesn't matter. You may say, get over it, that shouldn't affect you anymore, but you're not going to say, get over it, it doesn't matter. So we all have our stories and our chances to be bitter in life. And what I want to preface it by saying this is bitterness doesn't care about where you are in life financially doesn't care about who you are culturally, doesn't care about your, your, your economic status. Bitterness is used by Satan as a bait, and the bait of Satan is a great book by John Bevere. I have it linked in my introduction here on the notes, that the devil has seen so many people get hooked by that he loves to throw it out. And when we get to the, to, to the part here of spiritual warfare and our battle not against flesh and blood, I believe that bitterness is one of the things that the spirits, literally evil spirits, use to get into people's life. And let me say it like this. The times that we have seen actual demons manifest in our service, we're praying for them. They're doing all the poltergeist stuff, ah, doing all of that. Generally, where it came from was bitterness. We see more demonic oppression from the back door of bitterness than the front door of like drug addiction, you know, gang violence, those kinds of things. It's usually the back door of bitterness, okay? And so I want you to hear this. I'm in Bible college. I love Jesus. I'm going hard for God. I'm in my first year, and it's a two-year Bible college, getting my associate degree, and it's coming towards graduation. And the, and the pastor or the president asked us to write down our calling because he's thinking about doing a, a ministry. And I write down my calling is to become a church planner missionary. That's what I wanted to be. Everybody say missionary. I wanted to be a missionary church planner. The one that I loved the most at this time was my hero, was David Hogan. Some of you know Heidi Baker. He's the opposite of Heidi Baker, okay? They actually did an interview together. They are like, like Heidi Baker is like laughs and giggles and joy. Uh, he is like intensity and like harshness, but he really loves Jesus, okay? But harsh towards the devil, we should say that, But because he, he loves his people. He was a missionary, still is, to uh, central Mexico, to the villages down there by the border of like, what is Mexico border? Honduras? Guatemala? Ecuador? What is it? Border. Does anybody know? Does anybody care? Well, somewhere like right down there, down there in the Mexico southern region, all y'all Mexicans messing up right now. Y'all should know what the bordering country is. Canada's up here. Mexico's down there. I'm good. Okay. Anyway, so there's countries down there that border Mexico. He's like there, like jungle, still indigenous people, you know, wearing like the big, you know, like Afghan, like um, those things. I really like them. They're colorful. They're warm. You know what I'm talking about. I saw one of our girls from Peru wearing one, I think, recently. Um, who was wearing one? Does anybody remember? Was Carol wearing one? Who was wearing one? Yes. Where are you from? Does it border Mexico? You're checking. Now you're checking. Okay. Amen. Okay. So here we go. I'm going to go do that. I write down my calling. 
past, uh, the president calls me in, and he says, you've been chosen to start a new inner city ministry that we're going to do for the youth. It's going to be called Win Warriors Dream, and I want you and Juan Gonzalez to lead it up. And I'm like, that's awesome. And he's like, yes, because God told me when I was, to, uh, when I was asking students to write out their calling, whoever wrote down youth ministry or something like that, and, and they wanted to make a difference in the youth, I was to pick them. And I go, I didn't write anything about youth. And he goes, well, you were the exception because I really feel you should be there. And I go, okay, well, I wrote about church planning, but I'll help Juan because Juan's in charge of, uh, I mean, Juan's uh, called to youth, and I'll let him be in charge. That was day one. That was what I said day one. I can remember it like it was yesterday. Day one, I said, I will help Juan. Somebody say he's going to help Juan. I'm going to help Juan, Okay. Juan then has trouble in school, drops out of school. I then am the only leader there that has to take it over. So he says, will you take it over? And I say, sure, I will take it over to the end of my second year. So the entire second year, I'm in charge. You know, he, he drops out somewhere around the, the first quarter of the second year, whatever. But from the re- remaining of the time, I'm in charge of it. But my calling, as I wrote down there and had before I even went to Bible college, was to be a missionary, and I specifically wanted to work with David Hogan. Specifically. So when David Hogan would come around, I would go meet with his team. I would hang out with them. I filled out all the paperwork. I am ready to go. The end of the year comes. I go to the pastor and say, I, I, I'm ready to hand over when Warriors Dream to whoever you want me to hand it over to. I'm now ready to go be a missionary. He looks me in the eyes and basically Christian cusses me out, tells me I'm a hireling, tells me I have no integrity, tells me that I'm not worthy to go be a missionary, and that unless I stay here and do this, that he won't give me a recommendation to go do that. Okay, so I am 21 years old, and I just got my whole world rocked by somebody I respected and loved. Now, I want to just pause here and take a moment. You see, everybody has a chance to be bitter in life. See, I was never hurt by my parents. I was never abandoned. I was never molested. I was never verbally abused, right? And so you may hear my story, and you may just say, dude, just get over it, man. People in the church are dumb. I've been hurt before, whatever. And you may say, but real hurt is when I got raped by my uncle. I got, you know, and I'm not trying to say they're the equal kind of hurt. I'm just saying, my friends, if you had that kind of hurt in your life and you forgave that person, you're going to go to heaven. But I could miss heaven, miss the grace of God, and go to hell over what this president did to me. Do you understand how serious this is? So it's not my story compared to your story in that sense. What it's saying is all of us have a chance to either forgive and become better or a choice to become bitter. Are you guys tracking with me? See, this was now my choice, and so I didn't forgive. I'm angry. I'm upset. I'm resentful. I then stay in New Orleans. I join the Assemblies of God, which was never my intention, never my desire. I never wanted to do that. And then I begin to pastor the people in New Orleans. I fall in love with them. I love the city. I love the people. But in my heart, I'm eventually going to go do mission work and go be a church planner. Because in my mind, I need to go study under somebody that's church planning. I need to go be where, he's planted like 300 churches in Mexico, right? Like, I need to go be where they are at to go learn. So I'm going to finish this at some point and go do that. Now, at this uh, stage of my life, I had one relationship remaining in that Bible college, 
And that was with Brother Anthony, who those of you have met, right? And so him and I are still friends, and he would be like the, the buffer in that relationships. A lot of broken relationships have people around to buffer them. You know what I'm talking about. Sometimes mom buffers for dad. Sometimes dad buffers for mom. Sometimes one sister buffers for another sibling. One sibling does. You know what I'm talking about. There's somebody on the job you go to instead of the one you're supposed to because they're buffering, right? Not slander, but you're trying to work out relationships that are hurtful, right? So I'm going to him trying to still be pastor, trying to still be loved. Well, then there came one day we did a huge outreach. And they overplanned what would happen. They, they, um, they brought way too much food to uh, actually uh, the Magnolia Projects, where the hot boys are from. They brought like three or four semi-trucks of food, and there wasn't enough people there to give it out. And I'd been pastoring about two or three years, and they said, we don't know what to do with it. It was in a team meeting. And I said, man, I'll buy it from you guys, because I do weekly outreaches in the projects. I'll buy a storage. I'll rent a storage place. If you can bring those semis over there, we'll store all this food there. Now, there was this little squirmy dude, and Lord, forgive me, I forgive him, that was whispering in Brother Anthony's ear that told Brother Anthony I was being prideful trying to embarrass them. And for that moment, Brother Anthony started to see me differently as a cocky young man over that one little situation. So one day, I'm talking to Brother Anthony, and he brings up what this guy thinks about me from that situation, literally how he believes that's who I am. I'm a cocky young man. I shouldn't be talking like this in front of others. You see, you hear my story. You believe me, right? See, whenever we hear people's stories, we go, man, I have a, I have a right to be offended. That pastor should never talk to you, Joe. And then now my spiritual father, what does he say? He says, you need to go repent to that dude. And I said, it will be a cold day in hell before I ever repent to that guy. And I said, that guy is an idiot. That guy doesn't love you. That guy doesn't care about you. You hired this. He worked at the Bible college. I said, that guy will turn on you because that guy's two-faced. Everything I said was true. That guy ended up becoming Brother Anthony's worst thorn in his flesh of 30 years of ministry. Okay? But watch. He was asking me to do something that I didn't want to do, and I had a chance to be humble, to be, uh, to be able to serve, to have a different spirit. And I literally remember shaking my finger at Brother Anthony's face, and now I let out everything I have against the Bible college, against them, all that bitterness. And I say, you know what? You guys live up here in these suburbs. I'm in the inner city. I have people in my house that are homeless. I'm in the gang neighborhoods. I get my bus shot at, and you guys don't do jack up here. You guys put, uh, put us out there to do all your work. I mean, I went, I went off, right? And from that point on, I didn't see him for two years. Now, what happened over the next two years of my life is the saddest part of my life. See, I had a right to be upset at my president, didn't I? Could have handled it differently, though, right? Could have forgave him as Christ forgave me. I had a right to be angry at that professor, but I could have forgave him as he forgave, as Jesus forgave me. And I had a right to be mad at my Bible college president or Brother Anthony, rather, but I could have forgave him as Christ forgave me, but I didn't forgive none of them. I didn't forgive the president. I didn't forgive that professor. I didn't forgive Brother Anthony. Now, in my mind, I thought I was good because here's how bitterness works. You're good if you feel this way. This is what bitterness will tell you as long as you're right. As long as you are right, you're good. They deserve it. You don't owe them anything. See, that's the stuff you hear in your head. It's okay. So then 
it starts going now over the next two years to whenever people talk to me about it, it's like a fresh wound. Hey, man, didn't you graduate from Bible, SUM Bible College? I'd be like, yeah, man, they suck, man. Don't go there. I hate that school. Became bitter towards it. Every time their name came up, it just fired me up. Like five minutes with other pastors. I'm like, they did this, they did that. I'm telling you. I remember even talking to my mom one day because she knew Brother Anthony let me have a crawfish boil for my graduation party at his house, which he didn't have to do. And she was like, well, they did some good for you. She was like trying to pull out the Christian perspective. And I was like, forget it all. I don't even care. But here's the deal. I thought I was good. Because as long as I wasn't around them, as long as I wasn't talking to them, I'm fine. That's what I thought. But then one day my best friend came to visit us in New Orleans, and he pulled me aside, and he said, he said, dude, you are not the same guy that I knew who started ministry. The way you talk to all the people around you, you talk to them very, very harshly. He said, the way you act is like you have a chip on your shoulder. You're not being humble. You're not being kind. I remember sitting down at Cafe Du Monde in downtown New Orleans getting the beignets and him saying, I literally feel like you're full of hate, like you're full of anger. And I got so mad at him. I said, dude, you're jealous. You don't have what I have. You're not doing what I'm doing. These people like me. And they were scared to say anything because the truth was I was being angry towards them. What I didn't realize was that bitterness didn't just stay towards that relationship. What bitterness did is it started to come through now all of my relationships and had nothing to do with Bible college anymore. And praise God for His grace and mercy that when I was at a conference where Sergio Scatolini and the Argentine revivalists were at with Carlos and Acondia, these powerful men of God, Sergio Scatolini was preaching and he said, these are the sins that I see pastors struggle with the most. And he said, bitterness. And he said, here's how you know if you are bitter. If you cannot say, God bless my enemy like you have blessed me. And he said, some of you pastors are here today. You've been hurt by your people. You've been hurt by those over you, the pastors who raised you up. And he said, you think you are right to judge them and to say these things about them, but you're not. You're not trusting them to God. You're not forgiving them. You're not willing to let God work on them. And here's the deal. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. 2,000 people are in the church. And instantly I know he's talking to me. And I had a choice to stay in my seat or to respond because this is what he said in front of 2,000 pastors and leaders. He said, because if that's you, I want you to come up here right now and confess your sin to God. My friends, I got out of my seat, ran up there so fast in front of the stadium. Some of you all seen bigger churches. You know what I'm talking about. I got out of there. I ran to the altar that it got his attention. And he said, whoa, come up on stage right now. God's going to bless you. God's going to forgive you. Laid his hands on me, fell down, went boom. Felt the presence of God. When I came back to the church, by God's grace, we had a weekend retreat scheduled that very next week. I couldn't even look at these leaders without weeping 
I was weeping so much that I said to them in front of everybody, I want you now to stand here. I, have to, I tried to do it privately. I couldn't. I said, everybody has to come up here. I got down on my knees and washed every one of their feet and said, forgive me for the way I've treated you. And I felt like that was it. Like, God, forgive me for being bitter towards SUM, towards my Bible college, the president. I've apologized to these people. And then God put it in my heart. He said, no, 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 no. You've got to repent now to the ones you've been slandering. You've got to, you've got to talk to Brother Anthony. By this time, God, Brother Anthony has already fired that guy. And that president had already moved to another place. But God said, no, no, you've got to forgive them. I said, God, they were wrong. He said, I'm not telling you to say they were right. I'm not, I'm not even saying that you need to believe in how they did things. But I want you to say, you forgive them and you're sorry for slandering them. That's what you did. And so I had to repent. And praise God, there was mutual repentance. But sometimes there's not. And praise God, Brother Anthony became a part of my life and has been there ever since. I just asked him yesterday for his crawfish boil recipe because I found a place that will now ship me crawfish from New Orleans. That's about ready to happen, yes. That's, that's, that's my main person. Now I want you to understand this. If you would have talked to me at any of those stages, I would have told you I was all right because I was deceived by bitterness. Even when my mother tried to point it out to me, so here's what you do. You humble yourself and you trust those who love you, who are around you, in your life group, in your family, and you listen to them. And when they say, you're not the same, you're not getting over this, Things aren't moving forward the right way. The way you talk to your spouse, the way you talk to your kids, the way you come home from work, this is not right. You trust the Lord and you trust what people are saying and you get that junk out of your heart. You get rid of it. You rid yourself of it as fast as you can. And now from that day forward, I am telling you, I have been hurt. A hundred times worse, a hundred times worse than what they did to me. I can tell you now way worse of stories, but I'm not getting bitter, baby. <laughs> Woo, I'm not getting bitter. I am not getting bitter. I have so many things in my heart to protect me even from that. My wife, my best friend Wayne, who we are good friends again, right? I've got all these things in my life and a faithful prayer walk with God every day. And it's just like, Lord, you stop this before it ever gets that bad. You let me know because I don't ever want to go there again. That's why a lot of you have seen me, been betrayed, been hurt. I'll say it was sin. I'll say whatever it was. But I will not meditate on that. I will not put that in my mind. I'm not going to keep talking about them. I forgive them. I'm moving on. I forgive them and I move on. And I want us as a church to forgive them and move on. I want you to forgive abusers and move on. I want you to, and here's how you will know. Here's how you will know if you're good with this, when it comes to the pain in your life, if you can literally pray for whoever's hurt you the most, Lord, bless them and save them. If you can pray that and mean it. I'm not saying that if they've abused you, they deserve to go to jail. If they're still abusing you, talk to us now. We'll help them go to jail. So I want to cover that. We're not washing anything away just because we forgive them. They need to have a consequence as well. But even as serious as that, you must forgive them. You must 
Otherwise, it will affect other areas of your life. And I could keep you here all day with other people's stories. But where you start, it doesn't have to be where you end. And what people have done to you doesn't have to be what's going on on the inside of you. You don't have to let that broken record play on the inside of you. That hurt, that pain, that rejection. And so today, guard your heart from bitterness. If you're here today and you would say, Pastor, man, I don't have any bitterness. Praise God, I'm free from it. Okay, then hear the word today. Guard your heart from it. Never let it come up. Because I've watched people in their later years of life. You're thinking like old gray-haired people. They're not going to get bitter. I've seen them get bitter. That's, that's a lot of times when you think of a grumpy old man. Because they're bitter at life for whatever went wrong, you know. Don't ever let it come into your heart. Don't be bitter towards your kids, your grandkids, right? Don't be bitter towards your job. And if you stay in forgiveness, kindness will come easier. Kindness came easier for me towards the the school when I forgave them. It wasn't until I forgave them that kindness was even possible. Like kindness was not even in my vocabulary, wasn't in my mind, wasn't thinking about gentleness. But once I saw the cross and Jesus forgiving me, I understood like, okay, I can do that for them by God's help. I can extend the hand of mercy and then you're kind. And if I were to go through that again, I would go through it differently. That's how you know you're changed. Is you can play it in your mind. You go through it differently. You would go through your divorce differently. You would go through your abuse differently. You would go through that job and the way you left differently because you know that there's a better way. It's not a bitter way. It's a better way. Amen? I said amen. Let's pray right now and check our hearts as the band and altar workers come, please. Lord, search us to see if there's any bitterness in us. Is there a bitter root in any of our hearts today, God? Do we see rage? Do we see slander? Do we see malice? Do we see these things as fruit from the root of bitterness? Lord, let us search our hearts right now. Holy Spirit, bring it up to us. Expose the lies of the enemy. Expose those lies, O Lord. Just as Sergio Scatolini preached to me, Lord, I have preached to your people today. Lord, we pray that they will come if they are struggling just as I did and be free from bitterness. A few moments right now, search your heart. Childhood, your job, your friends, family, Those are some of the hot issues, the hot buttons that just get poked and prodded. The way people have treated you. You must release them today to the cross of Jesus Christ. Because if the cross, hear this as you're praying right now, because if the cross is not good enough to forgive them of your sins, it won't work to forgive your sins. If you can't put their sins on the cross, your sins can't go on the cross. Think of it like that today. Come on, put those sins on the cross by offering your forgiveness. Lord, as it comes up in our hearts, we forgive. We forgive. Some of you may have to go and confront the abuse or the 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 breaking of covenant or something that's been done wrong to you. I'm not excusing consequences. Hear me on that. You may have to confront it, but you're doing it with a heart of compassion, kindness. In the name of Jesus, right now, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we forgive as we have been forgiven. 
we forgive as we have been forgiven. As you're sitting, if you sense in your heart that you're ready to do that, I'm going to ask you to stand and to throw up your hands as a sign of surrender and to say with your own words, I forgive as I have been forgiven. If that's you right now as the music plays, I want you to stand up and make a profession of your faith. I forgive as I've been forgiven. I forgive as I've been forgiven. As you begin to stand, say it as a prayer. Adam, would you lead us in a worship song before we dismiss, please? And stand and mean it today. I forgive. I will walk in forgiveness. I forgive, Jesus, as I've been forgiven. we're going to worship as we're worshiping if you want prayer before we dismiss even now for bitterness unforgiveness and you're not ashamed to admit it come on up like I did 10 or 15 years ago come on up right now as we're worshiping we'll dismiss in just a moment but I know it worked for me it will work for you I do it now so that you can have that opportunity of freedom Jesus, thank you for those who are coming even now. Free them from bitterness. Free them from unforgiveness. Heal their hearts, Lord, from what's been done against them. There's no reason to be embarrassed, God. You love them. You love them, Lord. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Jesus, you're so willing. You're so willing to do it, God. Do it for others right now. Right now, if this is you, those who are praying, keep praying. But don't leave out of here with bitterness in your soul. 